Hello and welcome to School Me, the National Education Association's podcast dedicated to helping educators thrive at every stage of their career. I'm your host, Natika Samuels. And welcome to part three of our series, How to Become a Teacher. In this series, we explore the steps needed to turn your dream job into a reality. Maybe you're already in your university's teaching program, but there are some elements of the process that you haven't heard much about, or perhaps there's someone you know who is considering becoming a teacher and you wanna make sure they have a full view of what it really takes. Our goal is to make sure that aspiring educators are empowered with the information they need about the journey to teaching so that they are able to focus their energy on becoming the best educator they can, not on the administrative hurdles and pitfalls along the way. In previous parts of this series, we focused on just one phase of the path to the classroom at a time, like getting licensed or doing student teaching. Today, we're getting the full view of our guests' journeys from the first time they felt called to teaching to the moment they stepped into a classroom for the very first time. Our two guests are here to share, so let's get into it. Up first, we have Daisha Williams. Thanks for joining me today, Daisha. Thank you for having me. So let's start with where you are right now in your journey to become a teacher. So in my journey, I am actually not a actual teacher yet. I am an aspiring educator, so I am still in college. I go to The Ohio State University, and I actually graduate in May of 2023, so I'm so close to being done, but I have about one more semester left. And did you always know that you wanted to be a teacher? I did not know that I wanted to be a teacher. I actually thought that in the beginning of high school that I wanted to be a doctor, and then I always tell people this, but I don't like blood. And then I wanted to become a social worker because I knew I wanted to help kids. I didn't know how yet. And then I went into something called teaching professions, which is a career prep program for educators. And she tricked me because she told me that I was going to be able to be with a social worker every day. And then she threw me in a classroom and I loved it. So I've wanted to be a teacher since my junior year of high school. What is it about that experience that changed your mind and your idea about where your career would go? It was really like an aha moment for me when I first walked into a classroom. I just genuinely loved it. I loved talking with students. I liked that I could make my own lessons. I enjoyed the fact that it felt like a community. The different teachers felt like a family. And that was really important for me, having a strong team at the grade level. Also, again, I just love the kids. I really, that's all I want to do is be with kids all day. So it just works out. (laughs) Are any members of your family educators? I'm actually first generation. Neither of my parents actually finished a college degree or anything like that. They both graduated from high school, but they did not go to college. So you're in college now, but was there any other career or path that you considered entering college other than education or were you pretty set? Entering college, I was pretty set at that point. I had already been involved with Educators Rising and that kind of prolonged my love for education a little bit longer than I thought I was going to like it. But then as soon as I got into a classroom in college, it clicked again for me that this is what I want to do. So it sounds like the first real step that you took toward your career was this high school program where you got tricked, you said, (laughs) into shadowing a teacher and then a happy accident there. And then you got involved with Educators Rising. So can you tell me a bit about what Educators Rising is and, you know, how you got involved, what your experience has been? Yes. So I got involved with Educators Rising my junior year of high school because with teaching professions in that career tech school, 
we are a part of Educators Rising. With that comes micro-credentials, so you're able to gain knowledge about the educational field before you even reach college. It's more of like an exploration of just what you enjoy in education. So if you had to give an elevator pitch for Educators Rising, what would it be? I would say that Educators Rising is a nonprofit organization that helps aspiring educators or those that are in high school that are interested in being educators a way to explore it while also not spending college amount of money on it because we all know that college is very expensive whether you stay in state out of state it's expensive especially for educators that when you leave you're not making (laughs) a lot of money so every minute counts when you're in college so being able to explore that career while you're in high school is so beneficial because you're able to also meet and collaborate with so many different future educators from around the country so that was really why I enjoyed it because I was able to connect with so many people that in high school I had no brain power to even imagine that I'd talk to them let alone build with them. Now you're in college and you're a part of the Aspiring Educators program and can you tell me a little bit about the college experience so far and how you came to discover the Aspiring Educators program? So I actually didn't have some what someone called like a smooth transition from Educators Rising to Aspiring Ed. I really just saw an email. I saw an email that said free t-shirt and I was down. I wanted my <laughs> free t-shirt. <laughs> and they said all I had to do was put my name, my address and my shirt size. And I said, oh yeah, that sounds great. And then after that, I kind of just got involved at the state level and I became the Ohio chair elect. And then now currently I'm the chair of Ohio, and then I became involved at the national level. And I became a member of the advisory committee for aspiring ed at the national level. And I became a NEA board of director, which has been an amazing experience. So it kind of just all happened really fast for me. It happened within the last two and a half, three years. It's been a blessing. I've had amazing opportunities that someone in college normally doesn't have, especially in education. I've collaborated with, I've met, I've spoken with so many educators, past educators and and future educators just about education topics, or I've gotten to know them and how different their state is from my state. It's just been really nice to be a community, to be a family. It's nice to be involved with so many active teachers, ESPs, as well as retired ones and aspiring ones. And it's just an amazing family. And I've enjoyed every moment of it. What do you think is the benefit of joining something like the Aspiring Educators Program? As I've already said, collaboration and being able to connect with so many different aspiring eds around the country has been amazing. I've met so many amazing people. Shout out to my friend Emily in Kentucky. It's just amazing to be able to also talk to them about education. A lot of people don't understand what educators go through. They don't understand like, oh, you get summers off, but like, no, you don't. And so like being able to talk with them has really, really helped me through my major, to be honest. In Ohio, a really big thing is retaining aspiring ed. That's really important for us with the teacher shortage. So having those connections has definitely retained me. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) So that's one aspect of it, as well as just amazing opportunities to learn. Let's talk a little bit about your actual major and the teacher preparation experience. So from the moment you stepped on campus to now, 
can you sort of run down how the experience has gone when you've come in knowing exactly what you want to do and then you declare your major how has that all gone I feel like it's been a whirlwind. I feel like time is going by so fast. I don't feel like I have a semester left. That blows my mind to just think about that. I'm I'm almost a teacher. Like, that's insane. <laughs> so honestly, I feel that the entire experience has been amazing. They changed my major at Ohio State from K through three to pre-K through five, which one helped me because I wanted to get my four or five endorsement, my fourth grade fifth grade endorsement. And I know that every degree is different, especially from school to school in Ohio, let alone from Ohio State to somewhere in California, to somewhere in Georgia, to somewhere in Maine. The licensure is so very different. But for me, my pre-K through five is going to be really helpful. I believe that changing it to that will also help teacher shortage, because if you're not giving teachers four or five, who's going to do it? And you're, you're expecting these educators that are making, for Ohio, you're starting them off at around thirty five, forty thousand 40000 a year, and you want them to go back to school to get an endorsement that you could have made sure that they were trained in in the beginning. So for me, it's been amazing. I've gotten everything that I wanted, so pretty good. <laughs> you're doing student teaching now, right? Oh, yes, I am. I am deep in student teaching. It's, it's, it's amazing experience. It's just really stressful. <laughs> yeah. So how has it been going? It's been going great. The only one bone I have to pick with it is that we're not paid. Student teachers do so much. And I had always been saying that, but now that I'm living it, ooh, do I feel it? It is a lot. And to have no compensation and also be told to not get a job on top of student teaching because you're doing so much is kind of counteractive for me because especially for aspiring educators, because there's people that have families already. There's people that this is their second career. Not paying us is kind of life or death for a lot of aspiring ed. And again, that's why we're seeing so many people not go into education. For me, I've been blessed. I actually received an NEA scholarship, an NEA scholarship that actually helped pay for a lot of my tuition and maintain my life while I am in student teaching. I love my cooperating teacher. She is amazing. She's really helped me through it. That's also a really important part, having a good cooperating teacher. <laughs> and I enjoy the school. Yeah, I, I really can't say anything bad about it. It's really been a blessing. So is there a moment that you felt in your student teaching that really solidified your choice and made you really know that you made the right choice in picking this career? When I pick on kids, that sounds terrible, but like just having <laughs> having a rapport with the students and being able to joke around, that just really that just makes me so happy inside. Like, but knowing the students so well that I'm able to joke around with, I know that one of my students has, his family has a pickle business so that I just talk about pickles all the time. Or um, one of my students, she, her family has a farm. So she loves talking about her cows and washing her cows. And it's just amazing to be able to connect with them. And that's really what's propelling me through student teaching and beyond. Now, on the other side of things, has there been a moment when you were kind of unsure about whether you wanted to follow through and, and stay with the career of education? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, <laughs> I feel like teachers are getting burnout. I felt burnout. There are so many different things that I didn't realize that I'd have to plan for, like, I remember math stations and, and ELA stations in school, but like you have to plan that. Like who knew? 
who knew you had to do that? And also there's just no planning time. If you want to have good lesson plans, I feel like you have to do work outside of the school day, which is really sad because educators have other things to do after school than work on lesson plans. So not having planning time has really, really weighed me down. But seeing how happy that the students are when I have like all these fun things planned for them kind of makes up for it. What's one lesson that you've learned already that you know is going to serve you well? Really having time with active educators and retired educators has really helped me just see the career in a different lens. But if I had to choose one, I think it would be self-care, the importance of self-care. A lot of educators have instilled in me the importance of making sure that you are okay. The students will be okay if for five minutes you need to just, everyone take a deep breath in, everyone take a deep breath out, and just have a moment because education is hard. A lot of people feel like education is not hard, but it is very hard. It's very difficult to do correctly. You can feel like there's a lot of pressure on you to do your very, 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 very best every day. And of course, that's what we all want, but having self-care is just so important. Making sure that if you want to do a spa day, give yourself a spa day. If you want to wash your hair and spend three hours, do it. I think that's important to not only you as the educator in the room or the educator in the hallway that they're seeing, but also as the students, they need you to be okay for them to learn. And that's been something that I've had to learn. So this might sound like it's the same question. So if you have the same answer, we can move along. But what's the best career advice you've ever been given? It's a bit of a funny one. And I heard it when I was actually in high school in honors pre-calc. Shout out Mr. Barath at Gehanna <laughs> Lincoln High School. He said, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and that has really stuck with me because I tend to overthink through things. It's really hard for me to make decisions as well. And as teachers know, and educators in general know, you make a million decisions a day. So <laughs> I've just had to learn to take a step back. What do you think for the students? Do that and move on. Don't think about it. Well, think about it, but <laughs> but don't overthink about it. Just do what you think is best and move along because you're going to have another decision to make in five seconds. So <laughs> that would be my advice. I think that's good advice for everyone. Who or what is your biggest source of inspiration right now? I actually have a few that have helped me be who I am today and further on from there. My most recent are my lovely siblings, Rain, Destiny, and Camden. They are currently in K through 12 schooling right now. So one of my biggest charges for myself is to make sure that not only them, but their teachers and their educators and everyone else in that school feels seen, feels heard, and feels appreciated. And then I have my mom and my aunt Kim, who has been like a second mom to me. They have helped me and they have been my backbone for as long as I can remember, way before I even thought college was an option to now when college is more than an option and it's something that I can actually aspire to have. And finally, my grandma, she was a school lunch lady. And I remember going to school with her when I was younger and passing out the chocolate milks. And that was actually probably my first experience being in a role that wasn't an actual student in the classroom. But I truly enjoyed it. And I have nothing but fond memories of that. And that has also fueled my my passion for those ESPs because They are doing God's work. (laughs) They are doing amazing work 
in and outside of the classroom. My grandmother was the reason why I fight so hard for not only educators in general, but all educators. Okay. And you said you only have one more semester left of college. Yes. And then it's off into the real world, the classroom, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) But in a less general way, what is next for you? Really, I think it's graduation and becoming ah, a real educator. That's crazy to think of, but someone that's actually in the classroom. I think that's really what's next for me. And then maybe going back to school, getting my master's. That's always been something that I've wanted to do. I do know that I want to do something outside of the classroom eventually. Do I know what it is yet? No. And part of the reason I don't, I really, for a few years thought that I wanted to be a principal. Like I was like, I'm going to be a principal. I know that's what I'm going to do. That's it. And it was because I saw a black woman in that role. And I was like, wow, like I can do that. As I got more involved in NEA, I saw more black women in roles that I didn't even know were possible. So I have no idea what I want, to be honest. And I'm kind of just learning as I go. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Daisha. Thank you. Thanks for listening to School Me, and a quick thank you to all of the NEA members listening. If you're not an NEA member yet, visit nea.org slash whyjoin to learn more about member benefits. Next, we have Dylan Toth. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dylan. Yes, thank you so much for having me. So let's actually get a preview. Where and what are you currently teaching? I am in my first year teaching in central Illinois in Bloomington, where I went to school, actually. So I grew up about 250 miles away, so I'm in a new community. But I am teaching family and consumer sciences, which is, if you haven't heard of that new term, it's like a new version of home economics, all about life skills. We do cooking, we do sewing, we do communication, the understanding um, who you are as a person so that you could be a better member of your community. And that's kind of why I chose that content area. It is at a middle school. My student taught at a high school, so that's been a little bit different, just understanding that middle school brain and what kind of life skills that you can teach a middle schooler, even though it's also important, but you have to, of course, meet them where they're at. And then, of course, just with the first year teacher craziness of all of the different things going on around the classroom that you have to figure out before (laughs) even having a solid lesson. So that's what I'm doing at the junior high now. Like I said, it's just been a new experience, but I am loving it. That's great. Did you always want to be a teacher? Yes. People ask me, like, when was the first time you realized you want to be a teacher? I don't even remember (laughs) because it's just kind of always been what it was. I think kids pick what they want to do based on what they see at a young age. I remember wanting to be a bus driver. So people love to say they want to be a teacher when they're five. And then, you know, that sort of changes. But mine never kind of did. It was just always what I wanted to do. And then as I was getting older and getting ready to pick my major in my school, I kind of had to nail down what exactly I wanted to teach, which was the hard part. I knew I loved kids. I knew I loved education. But what exactly did I want to teach? And I was in my cooking class in high school and they were talking about careers, which is another big component of family consumer sciences. And I was thinking of history. Well, oh, I like history. I like politics, but I don't like this part of history or this part bores me or I like math. So I was sitting in this class and being like, wait a minute, I could do this. (laughs) Like, I want to be the person helping other people find their career path. And I want to be the one helping folks learn these skills that every single person has to know. So I ended up with family consumer sciences and it worked out pretty well. It's great. That's like a straight line. Like you had an idea and it worked out. That's right. 
Do you have any family members who are educators? No, I don't have any family in education. They've always been very supportive. It's never been closed off to that idea, but being kind of new to the public education sphere, as teachers know, there's so many moving parts, your contracts, your evaluations, your onboarding, and your all of that kind of thing. And it looks a lot different than other career paths. So that's kind of been something I have been thinking about a little bit more is you meet a teacher and they're like, oh, my, my mom works at this school in the area, or, oh, my aunt has worked here for 30 years. or And sometimes a lot of teachers end up staying in the family and keeping education in the family. But I never had a family member that was a teacher, but you make other teachers become your family, I think. <laughs> um, and you have your people that you turn to for support and all of that. Yeah, it's just interesting to me because I'd say the majority of people that I talk to, their mom, their dad, mm -hmm. their grandparents, someone in their family is an educator. So I always feel like I have to ask that question. <laughs> um, right. So you've basically been laser focused on education your whole life <laughs> up to this point. <laughs> what do you feel is like the first concrete step that you took toward this goal? Was it enrolling in college, getting on into the program or even before that? I think it was even before that, a lot of high schools, not enough, but a lot of them have programs like internship programs or shadowing programs where you have the opportunity to shadow one of your high school teachers for a period and accounts for course credit. And you might be doing TA duties like making copies or grading assessments or maybe teaching a lesson every once in a while. And it's meant for high school teachers that want to be educators just to see if this is the path. And I was with people in that program that did it and said, no, this is not the path I want to take. This isn't exactly what I thought it was. And that's perfectly okay. That's why we do it in high school. So you're not paying for it. It's not something that you have to feel pressure to stay into. It was my senior year of high school. So it's getting to that point where you're like, oh, this is getting real. And I signed up for it with one of my family consumer science teachers. And that is another thing that just solidified it. Like I just loved it. So when I was doing that in high school, that was the first thing that I noticed was like, this is really cool. So I think that was my first step. And then those are the teachers that I worked with that mentored me into my college applications and suggested schools and connected me with people that they know from those schools. And it's just another way to develop a relationship with an educator while you're still at home and while you're still have the option to be close to them. Okay, so actually that's a great segue to talk about your college and teacher prep experience. What was it like going into your freshman year with this clear path? When other people ask me like, how was your preparation experience or how was your college classes? I usually first think about the things that I didn't learn. I think this is a widespread issue across the country, not to focus on the negative, but there's a lot of educator prep programs that just don't go deep enough for the current world of education. And I think about specifically teaching students with disabilities in my program, which has since slightly changed. I could have graduated without taking any classes, having any knowledge on special education, teaching students with special needs, accommodations, differentiated learning, none of that ever came up in my educator prep program. It came up in the extracurricular activities I did through NEA and IEA. So I really valued my experience and my professors taught me everything that I know that I'm teaching right now. But I also feel advantaged because I had the chance to gain all of this 
other knowledge about racial and social equity and teaching in low-income communities and how that differs from teaching in a suburb of Chicago or special education, like I said. All of those things came to me from another source. And it's so important to me that we reframe the pathway that we have today for aspiring educators. So anyways, through the years, I loved learning about students and about their brain and about the developmental psychology and all of that I found really fascinating, but it's really hard to conceptualize until you're in the classroom. You mentioned your state association and the national union, and I know that you were involved in the Aspiring Educators Program, which is the NEA pre-service educator program. So what were you accessing through that on campus and what was your experience like on campus with the Aspiring Educators Program? That made my college experience as valuable as it was. I first got connected on campus. I thought it was just a little university club called the Student Education Association. And I joined looking for some professional development, some resume builders, maybe certificate with PD hours at the end. I don't know what every education major is looking for. And I joined and found that it's this massive state association and that state association is a part of this massive national association that has all of these resources and they're all interconnected and there's all of these opportunities for development and growth and all of that so i first went to a conference in my state and there were maybe a hundred other people there and it taught me all of those things that i was like oh i didn't know i could learn this like i haven't learned this in my classroom And you meet education majors from other parts of the state and you meet social work students and students going into psychology and even nursing who want to be school nurses and work with kids through the conferences, through just connecting with other people. You hear about what their schools does. You hear about what their programs do, um, how they are prepared. They have this program called micro credentials. And I talk to everybody about these micro credentials because they're just little units and little classes that you can take just to learn a little bit more about affirming LGBTQ students, or maybe it's communicating with parents. There is so much, and it's almost impossible, it seems, to learn all of that in college. But if you can do a little bit on the side just to feel more comfortable teaching, I think it makes all of the difference. And the people that I met through that association are not only mentors to me academically, but you have such a community because you are all going through the same thing. You have aspiring educators from all over the country that you find so many similarities with and so many of the same anxieties and the same um, trials and tribulations that that you go through all of the time. I just can't understate how valuable it is to whatever it may be, whether it's the NEA aspiring educators or whether it's middle-level association or college mentors for kids, whatever your passion is, find your community and find that sense of belonging on campus because it leads right into the classroom. And if it's connected to education, it brings you closer to the classroom, it brings you closer to your own passions, and that is what I was lucky enough to find. So getting involved with the union was really important to you, and it seems like you had a pretty positive experience. Was there ever a time when you weren't sure if you wanted to follow through on teaching, like a time of doubt where you're like, did I choose the right path? Yes, I think that every 
person going into education, no matter how much you love it or passionate about it, you have those days where you think, what in the world did I get myself into here? And it's always positive. It's never really genuine. It's only sometimes do people actually run away from their education major, whether it's a practicum experience that you go in to a classroom for the first time and you have that perspective of a teacher rather than the student that's in the classroom like you've always been. And you just kind of see the chaos and you see the student with special needs over here that needs half of your attention. And you see the students in the back that are not on task and need the other half of your attention. And then you see the students over here that need half of your attention. And so when you see it the first time, it's it's very overwhelming. And you just think like, oh my gosh, how could I possibly be the one to manage a group of people that big? Like what happened to just getting up in front of students and hanging out with them. Or maybe it comes when you're in content. Like I remember learning about um, setting up a grade book and all of the weighted percentages and how to make sure that it's equitable and how to make sure that you are not overweighting a test instead of this lab or a project or however it might be. And I am thinking like, how am I managing this massive data sheet or Excel sheet? Like I'm not a mathematician. I just <laughs> want to grade them. Like I just want to give them a score based on how they do. So that definitely has its moments where you think this isn't for me, but it almost always comes right back around the next day. You kind of, it comes in a moment of panic or stress where you think, okay, something good happens. Maybe it's a note from a student like, oh, we missed you yesterday. Or it's a teacher saying, I really appreciated your input in class. Whatever it might be, it comes back to you and you're like, this is my purpose. This is what I meant to do. I can manage it. Everybody else does. It always works out. So I think at the beginning, it's so scary because it's new and it's it's overwhelming because that's just what the job is. But once you get to know it a little bit more and get to know yourself, more importantly, I think those feelings subside. So let's get into student teaching. So student teaching is really different across universities. The length of time that you're in any school, the number of schools that you visit, and the amount of time you spend in one classroom at a time can be different. So can you tell me a little bit about what your experience was like and how you feel like that shaped where you are now? Yes, like across the country, it's so different. Even on one campus, it's so different. You have students in your same program that are doing an eight-week student teaching in your community and then eight weeks in San Antonio, Texas, or eight weeks in England, or like there are so many options, which is terrific because they all have different benefits and they all have different components. What I did, I feel so glad that I did. We had an option. The traditional student teaching path is that second semester of your senior year, maybe 16 weeks in a classroom. What I had the option to do was a full year program starting in August. You would be there maybe three days a week while still taking your fall classes. And then that spring, you'll be in the same classroom with the same mentor teacher doing full-time student teaching like everybody else. So you have that opportunity to see the classroom from the very beginning on that first day all the way to the last day. And everybody that I would hear talk about it would say like, oh, my first year teaching felt like my second year because you're there, you got to see the whole planning process. I find it hard to believe that it's most valuable for somebody to be thrown into a classroom halfway through the year when all of these relationships have been formed and all of these routines have been solidified. And so all across the country, we've been talking more about like teacher residency programs, which is what that full year program would be considered. Um, so anyway, I think working with my mentor teacher for a full year, being there for the institute days at the beginning and the parent teacher conferences in the fall and the parent open house at the beginning of the year, like all of those little things that occur before 
that January start date that we know so well make so much difference throughout the year. I think the hardest part too about that is in the current state that we have, soon teaching isn't compensated. All of that stuff is on your own time. It's on your school time. So why would somebody do unpaid student teaching for a full year when they could do unpaid student teaching for a half a year. So it's sometimes I'll talk to people about my experience and they're like, why did you do that? Like you exploited yourself even more. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's only a little bit more. It counts for your hours. But again, I can't understate how valuable all that other information is. So that was my path. Again, it looks different from everybody's because maybe programs like that are just kind of up and coming and they're becoming more available. A lot of people don't have an option like that. But when you do hear about that full year program, it has its benefits beyond. Glad you mentioned the pros and cons of that situation. The reality of the internship, residency, apprenticeship, like there's so many different words for it. Fast forward. So you've done your student teaching, you have done everything for school, you've graduated, or you're ready to get that first teaching job. How did that process go? I know that you must have gone through that in the height of the pandemic. So what was the experience of getting a job like for you? As I think about that, I think of how much it's changed over the years, like getting advice from teachers that have maybe been in the classroom for 10 years, let's say. It looked a lot different 10 years ago. So many teachers come up and tell me like, it's such a different market. Back then it was competitive, like to the bone. And there were few openings all the time. And you had to be really, really on top of everything and make sure that you're ready to go. And now it's, what is it, October now? And if you go online, there are jobs open for right now. Like you can start immediately. And I remember looking at the job bank for the very first time that they share with you to make sure that you know where to look for jobs. And I'm scrolling through this list and it was never ending. And they were all for the current school year that had started two months ago. <laughs> and so I, I found one, it was in the area that I wanted to be in and it, and I was just almost practicing an application just to kind of see what the different components were. Um, and I applied for the job and said, if you don't find anybody for this year, like I'll have a degree in May, let me know. The principal called back the next week, um, but she was like, I saw that you applied. I'd love to just talk to you more about it. I know that you're not ready until this time, but we'd love to have you come in for an interview. And I remember being like, is this a prank? Like, are, are they practicing interviewing too? Like I was practicing <laughs> application. Like, how could that be possible? And I went in and it was, it was what I wanted in a job and it felt really right. And I was like, how is it January? And I, <laughs> I'm feeling like I'm finding my jobs before all the other ones opened up. So for some people, you can get a job before your student teaching even begins. Um, and then there's some people that are, um, you know, wanting to pick a school, you know, close to their house, or they're picking something that they really want to teach, or they don't want to have to teach that class. And you, in this time, you can be a little more picky. I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of the right way to say that, but you have so many options, which is devastating and relieving at the same time for someone going into education. It's like a double-edged sword of you know, the shortage. <laughs> right. The shortage gives people options, but the fact that there is a shortage is, is really hard. And um, it makes the job more stressful, but it also makes finding the job easier. So like the directions that this go in are, are infinite. So you were lucky enough to find a job before you were even done with school and, and have that comfort. But now you're really in it. Now you're in your first year. 
So how's that been going? <laughs> well, it's been going. Usually when people ask me that, I'm like, as poorly as expected, but it's okay. It's a big adjustment. And I think also it's a different adjustment for me just because I student taught at a high school. My program, I'm certified grades five through 12. So just middle school and high school. So I student taught at a high school and now I'm teaching at a middle school. Um, and I think if I student taught at a middle school, I would be I would feel a little bit better, uh, but I've just been trying to like get to know middle schoolers and how to modify instruction for them and that kind of thing. But overall, I mean, it's just what everybody tells me is it's just chaos for a little bit and it's okay because it always comes together and it's what everybody has to go through. The amount of emails is overwhelming. Like you have 25 emails by the end of the day and you actually have to respond to all of them um, or you have IEPs coming from all these different directions. Do you have a new student thrown into your class two weeks in um, and you're like, how do I catch them up? What do I have to do? Do I excuse them for everything because it's easier for me or so you have to go through all of those things and and it it works like all of the other teachers at the school are like, yeah, don't worry, like next year is going to be easier. And you hear that over and over again. Um, so I'm optimistic, but it's it's difficult. <laughs> it's hard. And that's OK. I, I think because um, since student teaching, I always was like, oh, I'm going to feel like a second year teacher. Like I had that full year experience. And what people have always told me is like, you just you'll know when you get there, like it will all make sense when you actually are in the role you know, you're into your first year, what's one lesson that you've learned already? To give yourself grace. And that has probably been the biggest one. You do not have to be the teacher of the year your first year. You do not have to be the model teacher for your hallway, (laughs) your first year teaching. The one thing that brought me a lot of comfort was veteran teachers saying, I made every mistake in the book my first year. You make so many mistakes and some you some you can reverse and some of them you just have to go with and say like that. Sorry, you all like that was not my intention. Or there are a lot of times where you can be really hard on yourself and take things personally if a student is causing problems in your class or failing everything or not engaging themselves. Sometimes you think I'm not an engaging educator. Does this mean my lessons aren't working for everybody? And sometimes it's something else. There's so much going on in these kids' lives. So that's kind of what I've taught myself is you don't have to be the best practice. You don't have to be perfect. Just do your best and next year it'll be even better. Okay. So you have a lot of school year ahead of you. What's next? Like, what are you working on, thinking about even maybe outside of school, if if it's union related, you know, what are you looking forward to right now? Well, I don't know if anyone's heard, there's a pretty big election coming up, <laughs> a big midterm election. So that's kind of been in my mind, just because I mentioned I like politics. And again, it's more important related to education. There's a referendum on our local ballot that would lower overall taxes, but increase the amount of tax dollars that go to our schools. So it increased funding for schools and lower taxes for everybody. So schools are in jeopardy, like students with referendums like this happening across the country, people forget that if schools don't get the resources that they need, they will just cease to exist. They will just close. Um, And that's kind of what I'm more worried about going into an election is what happens afterwards, obviously. But otherwise, my classes are only a semester long. So I feel like once I get through December, I will have done a whole set of class and I'll start fresh in January and get to try it all again. So I'm really looking forward to that. Everyone says time flies. Everybody says that. And it is so true. Like it's October. How? What? When? Where? (laughs) So it is flying by and I know it's going to go fast. I'm appreciating it. I'm enjoying it. That's my 
that's my number one goal is just to keep living in the moment. What's your biggest source of inspiration right now? The first answer that came to mind was just this union community, not even so much the association itself, but the community that comes from something that you find belonging in. And this could be a book club. This could be your library. This could be so many things. I think of the my little circle of friends that I've gained in the union, my union family, as we call it in NEA. And just going through this together, we get to graduate together and go into education together. And we have that community still. One's in Kentucky, one's in Oregon, one is in Oklahoma, like they're all over, but you still have each other. Um, so this union is so valuable, not only because of the work it does, but the people that it fosters and the relationships that it fosters, um, because that is what is getting us through this. We have each other to get through the day. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dylan. Natika, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of School Me. And take a minute to rate the show and leave a review. It really helps us out and it makes it easier for more educators to find us. For more tips to help you bring the best to your students, text POD, that's P-O-D, to 48744.